uh, Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're at. Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 22, uh, really 21 to 24, really 22 to 24. We're going to read verses 21 to 24. And we're continuing our series on the family and God's design for the family, um, and particularly talking about um, this week and next week, God's design for the relationship between the wife and the husband in the home. Uh, today, particularly how the wife, uh, the, the design for the wife and her relationship towards the husband, um, although we're also going to be addressing uh, the relationship that the husband's role as well a little bit this morning. And then next week, we'll be talking about, um, in particular, um, is, next week is bring your husband to church week. And so we'll be, uh, the, the great passage in Ephesians 5 on loving your wives, we'll be dealing with that next week. So, you know, we live in a culture um, where there's a lot of debate over things like gender roles and um, how, how things are supposed to function, not just within the family, but just in society in general. Um, but there are some in our culture kind of on an extreme end who would completely want to erase any distinction um, between male and female. Um, however, we learn from the Bible that God has actually on purpose created us male and female in his image. And we have distinct ways we image God um, and how we live out who we are. And it, part of how he's made us, part of our very identity is that he made us male and he made us female. And both genders are created with dignity, value, worth, and purpose um, within that gender. And God has a design for both men and women. And he has a purpose for both men and women. And sometimes our purpose is actually connected to um, how he's made us. And so our gender is not insignificant, in other words. Um, it, it matters very much to God. And so when you hear those kind of debates going on in culture from a Christian worldview perspective, your little antenna should go up and you should know, hey, in the beginning he made them. In the beginning he made them male and female. And so that really does matter. And when we approach the home, we're going to find out this morning it matters within the home how God's designed us and how he's designed things to work. So we're going to be seeing that God's design for the home is for the husband to lead and for the wife to submit to his leadership. Now, just saying that um, is culturally extremely controversial. And I'll explain what I mean by that in a minute. So I'm stating that without any qualifications at the beginning because I'm going to give you the qualifications later. But this flies in the face of a lot of contemporary culture that presents men as bumbling morons incapable of leadership in the home. And maybe sometimes we are. But that's still not fair for culture to portray us that way. I call it Homer Simpsonitis, right? Um, if you've ever seen The Simpsons, Homer Simpson, the little cartoon dad of the family, is just an idiot. Um, he can't do anything right. He sleeps at work. He he's, you know, blows up nuclear plants. He, he, I mean, he, he can't manage the kids. He, can't man he, he needs Marge to constantly kind of pull things together. And that's, in general, the way men are kind of portrayed in a lot of sitcoms and comedies and, and things of like that now. Homer Simpsonitis, right? His famous line is, no, right? That's what he says when he messes up, which is like 10 times an episode. I haven't seen that show in years, and I remember that. So, that's how a lot of people look at men now. That's kind of how a lot of culture portrays men. Some would stereotype women in incorrect ways as well. But God has designed men to lead in the home. He's designed women to be key to a healthy, uh, healthy functioning uh, in the home. And the husband and wife relationships begins uh, with this mutual understanding and the commitment to and reverence for Jesus. See, when Jesus is being worshipped as Lord in the home, a husband will be motivated to lead well. And a wife will embrace her role as well. And Paul's teaching in Ephesians, we're going to see this morning, as he lays out God's design, it will affirm certain things that are right in the culture, but it will also rebuke what is wrong in the culture. Because he's really not obsessed with the culture. 
other than just giving you what God's design is. And so it's like the plumb line, right? He lays down this straight line. Here's God's design. And there are going to be things uh, that in our culture or in his culture that are going to be in line, and there are going to be things that are not, right? When they are in line, we call that common grace. And when, when they're not in line, we call that consequences of the fall. So our goal this morning is not really to battle the culture, but to lay out God's design and to see where we, see where we are. Today's text is considered by many to be controversial, right? It's been said that some find this text so problematic because they misunderstand it, and, and some simply know what it says and understand it and therefore hate it, and they find it problematic. So to be, both ends of the spectrum there. So look with me at Ephesians 5. For the sake of context, I'm going to start in verse 21. That's where we were last week. And as we talked about the importance of mutual submission, that in the body of Christ we're all to submit to one another, have an attitude, a servant-hearted attitude towards one another. And it's out of that these roles of husband and wife develop. So look with me in Ephesians 5, 21, verse 21 through verse 24. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Anyone have this knitted on a blanket? Like, is this like your verse, like that you snuggle up with at night, or any cars out in the parking lot that's got this on the bumper sticker, um, or on your coffee mug? It's really not one, right? I've never met anyone, and they're like, that's my life verse. <laughs> Ephesians 5.22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, right? Um, nobody really does that. Uh, but here's what we have to understand this morning. We don't really know what to do with it a lot of times, right? We get a little uncomfortable with it because sometimes it's because of our own cultural stigmas or the way we grew up or the way we tend to use a word like submit, which sounds like a really strong word. But here's the thing. You have to have structure everywhere, right? At work, there's structure. Somebody's got to, at the end of the day, somebody's got to be accountable right? Some, there's got to be some sort of way that, the thing, that things function. You know where to go for this and where to go for that. Whose responsibility is what? Same way in the church. The same way in the government, right? You can't have organization in society, right? Without some form of structure. And it's true in the home as well. In the home, you have to have structure. And the Bible is giving, to it, giving that to us here as, in, as, as, as it begins to lay it out in Ephesians 5. And in Paul's day, you have to understand that women were treated in many cases not much differently than slaves were. And Paul's message, in first addressing women directly, right? Wives. And then he goes, begins to talk to them. And then calling them to submit only to their husbands. That in and of itself is countercultural in, in that day in many ways. And what we see here is a design rooted in the Old Testament teaching of Genesis 1 and 2. Two people who are equally created in God's image and at the same time uniquely created in God's image. Within the family, while we... We, we are to uniquely pursue our God-given roles for God's glory. So, right, we're equally created in God's image, and we're uniquely created in God's image. That's what it means to be what we call complementarian, okay? We believe God created male and female to complement, not compete with one another, and, uh, and that he created us unique for our own purpose and roles. And so we'll get into that a little bit. So the first thing I want us to do, though, is I want us to talk about this idea of headship in the home, husbands and headship. And so we're going to skip down to verse 23, the, he gives the reason for this idea of submission. And we're going to come back to submission. But he gives a reason for it in verse 23. So I actually want us to begin there. He says, The reason that the wife is to submit to the husband is that the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. That's the big why. of why, the, the why. Why is it organized? Why is it this way? And that's the why. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. 
So what does it mean that the husband is the head? What is this even talking about? Well, it's compared to Christ and the church. Jesus is the leader of the church. None of us debate that this morning. No one here questions or should who's ultimately in charge at North Park. It's Jesus, right? It's his church. He's the one that bought us with his blood. It's, it's, it's his church. And in the same way in the home, there should be no question that the husband is considered by God to be the leader in the home. And we're going to talk about what that means. The first thing that means is the idea of headship is the idea of leadership. You can have a leadership role and not operate according to it like you should, right? You can be given a leadership role and not use it. You can be given a leadership role and neglect it, but that doesn't change the responsibility that we'll get to here in a little bit. Notice the illustration of the head and the body, right? Leadership flows from the head to and through the body in our physical bodies, right? When people, when, when, when people um, do crazy things, we say things like this. They're crazy in the head. They've lost their minds. What's going on upstairs, right? Because we know it all starts there. That's where it starts. That's where the root issue is. We, we get that. That's what, and in the same way, that's, that's where leadership starts with the head. And that's part of what he's talking about here. It starts with the husband. And the illustration, also notice the illustration of Christ, right? Just as Christ is the head of the church. Who builds the church? Jesus does. Jesus said, follow who? Me, right? The husband has to be prepared to make tough calls. This doesn't mean he doesn't involve his wife in decisions and things of that nature. We'll get to that in a minute. But it's not an excuse to exclude the wife. Leadership, it has been said, is really more about initiative. Initiative. The husband is the initiator or should be in the home. Men are to be initiators. Christ initiated the relationship with the church. Jesus came to us. Jesus pursued us. Jesus rescued us. Jesus looks out and protects us. He shepherds us. And on a practical level, the wife should not be the one that's always having to drag the family to church. She shouldn't be the one that's always having to rein in the spending in the home. She shouldn't be the one that's always having to discipline the kids, always having to ask for a date night, right? Husbands are to lead. And if we're not initiating, newsflash, we're not leading. Leaders are initiators. And the husband leading doesn't mean he doesn't include the wife. He engages her. He involves her. God designed Eve to be Adam's helper. And helpers aren't very helpful, right, if you don't allow them to help and be involved in the process and ask their opinion and seek their counsel, involve them in the plan and, and do this thing together. That's poor leadership. So headship is about leadership, and leadership's really about initiating. But headship is also about responsibility. In John 10, 28, Jesus said, I, gave my, I, gave, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus says, no one's going to snatch my people out of my hand. What is he doing? He is assuming responsibility for his people. Right? Jesus took responsibility for the church. He died for us, for our sins. Not sins he committed, sins we committed. He calls us his. He, he keeps us, as he says, in his hand. And men are to take responsibility for their wives. Nurture them, care for them. More about that next week. But here's the thing. If we don't, we're still responsible. He doesn't say husbands should be the head. He says husbands are, right? And so even if a husband doesn't function like the head in the home, it doesn't mean he still won't give account to God one day for being the head in the home. That's just how it works. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's innate in the position, so to speak, of being a husband. It comes with a certain responsibility. And here's the thing. Headship is not only responsibility. Headship is accountability. When Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis 3 and God came looking, who did God call out to by name, right? Who was he looking for? Adam. Adam, where are you? As the head of the home, 
Adam was the one God was hiding responsible. We, we make, a, we make a, a big deal out how Eve, how Eve took the fruit first, right? We make little jokes about that, how she took it first. But Adam was standing there watching, best we can tell in the text. And when God came looking, he didn't say, Hey, Eve, what have you done? He said, Hey, Adam. Because at the end of the day, Adam was accountable for leadership in that home. And Adam failed. Adam failed. And all of us since have failed, right? Uh, before and after marriage, right? We, 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 we all have failed to some degree to lead with the perfection that we would like to. And so headship is accountability. Just as God held Adam accountable, he holds men accountable in the home. Doesn't mean there's no accountability for the women. I'm just saying in terms of who's the leader, who's the point man in the home, God comes looking for the husband. You see, responsibility is a choice. Accountability is destiny. We have to choose on a daily basis to be responsible with who, what we're called to be as husbands. But the fact that we're going to be held accountable for it is our destiny. There's no, we don't get to choose that. So we need to be responsible because we will be held accountable. Now for the wife, this whole idea of headship of the husband is given as the reason she should submit. Now, the husband is the head, therefore the leader, the initiator, the one charged with taking responsibility. One's going to be held accountable. But the husband's model for headship is Jesus. Now think about this. Does the church suffer under Jesus' leadership? Does the church feel repressed by Jesus? Is the church exploited and bullied by Jesus? Does the church feel unloved by Jesus and neglected by Jesus? No. The church flourishes with Jesus' head. Now sometimes human leadership, from our perspective, can mess things up. But Jesus is never at fault. And wives should flourish under the leadership of the husband in the home. Just as uh, the church flourishes under Christ's leadership when, 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 the, well, when the church obviously responds to his leadership. But should flourish under that in the same way the husband's to create an environment in the home where the wife flourishes. It's not, it's not regressive or, or negative in that sense. I had a, you know, a pastor who had a guy come to him and he said, man, have major problems with my wife and this, that, and that other is pouring his heart out. And he said, Ever, before we got married, she was great. Then we got married. And it's just been year after year, she's gotten worse and worse and worse and worse. It's like she's becoming a worse person. And he just continued to pour his heart out. And the pastor said, listen to him for a while. Finally, after he got finished talking, he said, wow, you must be a horrible leader. <laughs> and maybe that was an overstatement, but he got the point across. And the point was, you can't sit here and dump a dump on your wife, dump all this out on your wife and take no responsibility when you are called to lead, right? And so if she's on, and the point was, you're telling me she was great and then she married you, right? And things got worse, right? So listen, the, the church flourishes under the leadership of Christ and our wives should flourish under our leadership though we know we don't lead perfectly. And we'll talk more about that next week. I'll bring your husband to church week. But, um, <laughs> but there are limits to a husband's leadership and influence in the home. Notice whereas Christ is the savior of the body of the church, the husband is not the wife's savior. He's compared in terms of headship, but not in terms of being savior. Only Jesus can act as savior. Husbands can't save their wives and can't be Jesus for her. Wives, your husband can't be everything to you. You have to have your identity in Christ and not in him. There are some things that are reserved only for Christ. But, but we have to get the, we have to understand headship. And understand how it's connected to Christ and his leadership and how it's imaged and all these things are imaged between Christ and the church. 
before we can understand this next part. So the next part is about wives and submission. Look at verse 22. Wives, go back up. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Why? Why would I do that? What we just talked about. Because of the headship narrative. And then in verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, what does he mean by submit? That's what everybody's wanting to know. It's actually not in verse 22. Some of you are like, I knew it. Yeah. No, it's, it's in verse 21. And where he says, submitting to one another, and then he, he borrows that word, and he says, and wives to your own husbands. If you're reading it in the Greek, submitting to one another, and wives to your own husbands, right? As he begins to flow through the narrative. It was a military term where you submitted to the ranking officer. It pictures, it's a picture of order, like I mentioned earlier. Organization within the home. Like I said earlier, there must be order in some facet. And it's, it's a respect of the husband's role as the leader. Notice it's your own husbands. This is not about women submitting to men. There is no verse in the Bible about just all women submitting to all men. That is not, uh, this is about submitting to your own husbands. Right? It's the organization, it's a particular woman in submission to a particular man. Harold Pointer notes in his work on Ephesians how this had significant cultural ramifications in Paul's day. He notes that in Paul's day, the Romans operated by a rule that basically said the father, they, they had a law that basically said the father had absolute power over the family, right? I mean, even when kids were born, he could decide whether they lived or not. If the kids got out of hand, he could decide whether they died or not. He had absolute control over the family. And in Paul's day, there was a trend towards the father of the bride remaining as her authoritative leader even after marriage. As long as he lived, the father, not the husband, was who, was, who she was to submit to. Horner even points out that fathers could initiate divorce, right? He decided he didn't like the husband, he would initiate the divorce. And that was the situation you're dealing with in some of these Roman provinces like Ephesus, uh, the, 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 where things are starting to lean. So when Paul says, wives, submit to your own husbands, it's he's rebuking something also that's going on in the culture. He's confronting the culture. No wives, submit to your own husbands. There is a leaving and a cleaving that has taken place. The wife is no longer under the authority of her father. She's in a new family, and the leader of that new family is her husband, not her father. Now, the wife is to submit to her husband, it says, as to the Lord. What does that mean? Well, it's out of obedience to God. Because of love and devotion to the Lord, the wife submits. It's not simply about the husband. It's about the relationship with the Lord and her desire to honor the Lord. What does all this look like? Well, it means that the wife defers to the husband's leadership. Now, next week we'll see more about his role and how he helps create an environment where this is not a drudge. But note this, the husband's role is not contingent on the wife, nor the wife's role contingent on the husband. The wife can fulfill her role whether the husband does his well or not, and vice versa, and should. Now, many immediately think the idea of submission is demeaning, right? It just sounds demeaning, but this is not true. Here's how we know this. The epitome of submission given to us in the Bible is Jesus. He, he is given to us as the picture of what it looks like to submit. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself, will not talk about to God, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him, to the Father, who puts all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Jesus is not less God than the Father. Jesus is equal in essence to the Father, but he does submit to the Father. This doesn't demean Jesus. This shows us submission is not about being less than. It's about embracing God's purpose just as Jesus did with the Father. See, submission can be abused and it can be misunderstood. So we need to understand what it's not. It's not being unengaged in the family and in decisions. 
So for instance, husbands, if you're making major decisions in your home without discussing them with your wife, not only are you leading poorly, you're not loving them well either. And wives, you need to be engaged, discuss. It's a partnership. The husband is the leader, not a god. Not a king. And wives can't help like helpers should if they're not engaged, discussing and being involved and giving their opinion and their wisdom and their advice. And in fact, I'd say if two people both love Jesus, and if they're both following Jesus and seeking to obey his word, it will be rare that they are not on the same page on major issues at some point, or at least we'll get there quickly. If the husband is leading and loving well, and the wife is respectful and submissive to his position as the leader in the home, it's amazing how things tend to come together. That is if the husband seeks, does things like seeks his wife's wisdom. Because, you know, the Bible tells us wisdom seeks counsel. How much more should it seek the counsel from your partner? A wise husband seeks his wife's wisdom. So it's not about being unengaged. So be very engaged. It's, and it's not a forfeiture of the wife's skill or abilities. Listen, husbands, there are things that your wives and my wife is better than me at and things that your wives are better than you at. There just are. Some, th- some of those things are just the way they're wired. Some of this is how God has gifted them in, in, your, in your family. And a good leader gets that. You can lead, initiate, and take responsibility and at the same time recognize your wife's gifts and allow her to do what she's good at and divide certain things up in the home according to gift set. Some people are just better at some things than others, and that is okay. That doesn't make you a poor leader. It makes you a good one if you know how to, you know, if you know how to maximize that. And at the same time, not only is it not being unengaged, not only is it not a forfeiture of skill and ability, it's not, submission is not unto sin. Right? Jesus is Lord and Savior, not the husband. And submission is never meant to be unto sin. Husband, there's no, oh, I'm submitting to my husband and doing, you know, robbing this bank, or use an extreme example, because he's the head of the home, and well, I'm supposed, no, 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 no. It's never, under, Jesus is the ultimate head. He's the ultimate leader. And that includes abuse, by the way. That's sin. And so don't allow your husband to lead you into sin, and by all means, if he's abusive, get help. That's not okay. That's wickedness. That's an abuse of his leadership role, and it's, it's in no way, in any way, uh, something that a wife should stand for. But notice the scope of the wife's submission, though. It does say she's to submit in everything. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. What does that mean? Because if it doesn't include sin, and we would know it wouldn't, what does it mean then? Well, the idea here is that there's no fences. There's no areas where we protect and we can kind of say, listen, you can lead here, but you can't lead here. Listen, you can lead in the finances, honey, but I'll decide how we discipline these children. It's in, it's in every, his leadership is to, to cope everything in the home. There's not meant to be areas that are marked off where the husband can't lead. Husbands are to lead and initiate all throughout the home, and the wife is to welcome that. And the church doesn't look to Jesus and say, Jesus, you can tell us how to do church, but you can't tell us how to do family. Right? Well, it's not a buffet. Husbands are to love their wives at all times in all arenas of life, and wives are to respect and submit to the leadership of their husband in the same way. There's to be no fences in the marriage. Two have become one. You're still individuals. You're still personally accountable before the Lord, but you're also one unit as a family. And what this means is, is that wives will have to trust their husbands. And husbands need to be trustworthy, obviously. It's hard to follow someone's leadership if you don't trust them. Because when it's a tough decision, and you've prayed about it, and the two of you just can't get on the same page, and best you know, you're both seeking the Lord, but you, you really think you ought to do this, and you really think you ought to do that, and it's just one of those kind of things. It's not a sin issue, it's just a, 
just an issue. And you both prayed about it. You can't get on the same page. The wife needs to be able to trust the husband enough to let him even mess up and not hold it over his head and let him to lead out in that. That's where these things begin to come down. And those occasions are generally rare, but they do happen, right? I really think I'm supposed to take this job. Well, this uh, make, the wife says, well, I'm not sure if that's what you should do or not. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about this, the move or the whatever. And they begin to talk and pray about it and talk and pray about it. And they go back and forth. And, and at the end of the day, they realize for neither one of them is this something that's going to like rip them apart. But the husband's just fully convinced that he's supposed to take this job. At some point, wife has to trust the husband. That's headship. That's leadership. But at the same time, there should be a lot of praying and discussing and trying to get on the same page before you ever get there because that's leadership. That's how the home should work. As Paul wraps up addressing husbands and wives, notice what he says in verse 33. I didn't read this to you, but I'm going to read it now. He says, let the wife see. He says, let the husband see that he loves his wife and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Respect is the posture of submission. It's the attitude um, within the home that makes submission possible. You'll find it hard to submit to the leadership of someone you don't respect, right? And the respect is not really rooted in your husband and his personality. It's rooted in his position. There might be things that you kind of go, I find it hard to respect this, 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 this. What can you respect the position that God has placed him in your life? God has positioned him as the leader in the home. Now, we need to respect each other. Respect is a basic dignity we all owe each other. But it's important here that he focuses on wives to husbands because of how men are wired. Men are wired to lead and leaders function better in an atmosphere of respect. It's hard to lead anyone if you don't feel like they respect you. And it's hard to follow someone's leadership if you don't respect them. Respect is the, is, it's, it's the atmosphere that makes this possible. And husbands, like all leaders, want to be respected. And wives will find it easier to submit to a husband's leadership when they respect the position that, that God has designed and put them in. But Wives want to be loved and honored, too, right? We all want to be loved. That doesn't mean only wives want to be loved. We all want to be loved. But men and women are wired differently, and wives find it easier to submit to leadership when they trust it. And sacrificial love breeds trust. Right? I trust Jesus. He has loved me and gave himself for me. I find it way easier to trust Jesus because of what Christ has done. His love, his proactive love, on my behalf. It, it works together. Just like it does in the gospel. Here's the bottom line. All of this is about Christ and his church. When you really step back and you look at it. In Ephesians 5. As we will next week and this week. It's all ultimately about Jesus and his church. Our marriages we see are bigger than we are. They're bigger than us. A husband is supposed to be modeling his leadership after Christ. And saying to the watching world. Listen. Jesus loves his people. That's what the husband's supposed to be saying. And then by his marriage, he's supposed to be saying, let me illustrate. A wife is supposed to be saying to the watching world, God's people really believe Jesus is Lord. Let me illustrate. Let me illustrate my marriage. It's, in a sense, marriage is a witnessing tool God has given us to help portray the gospel better to people. There's more at stake in marriage than our happiness. It is a gospel illustration that's bigger than us. And at the same time, we can look to Jesus and go, wow, look at his submission to the Father. Look at his love for his bride. And it motivates us and it, it changes us, right? Because we can't fully embrace the gospel model of marriage if we haven't embraced the gospel. And we've got to continue to embrace the gospel in our lives and our marriage if we're going to continue to embrace this model of for marriage that's rooted in the gospel. 
right? And the gospel tells us what? Jesus in our place. There's nothing like marriage to reveal to you how much you need a Savior. I think it was Tim Keller that said, your spouse is God's means to your sanctification. God uses your spouse to help show you your faults. Not because they're pointing out your faults to you, but because when you get two people together in a relationship, things get exposed, right? Your lack of patience or what, whatever it may be and, and, and the things that grate on you this way or that way and, you, and, and God begins to work in your heart, right? We don't come into marriage fully mature, great, awesome people. Uh, God uses marriage to help us grow and to help us mature and to help us grow up and to help us to become more Christ-like um, when we pursue Christ in that. So the, the marriage itself just reveals to us how much we need the gospel. And the gospel we know is what? Jesus in our place. He dying in, died in our place for our sins. His resurrection from the dead. His soon return. And for those who have turned from their sin and who have placed their faith in Christ, Jesus is our Lord and Savior, as we, as we continue in that posture, right, of repentance from sin towards God and faith in Jesus Christ, it continually changes us. Changes us. And every marriage needs to have a continual stare into the gospel. Right? It has to begin, right? If we, if we don't know Christ, our marriages really are going to struggle. And even if we know Christ, at times those marriages can struggle. But we've got to always be coming back and staring at the truth of the gospel and letting the gospel change us because that's where the power is. The gospel reminds us we can't do it on our own. We need a Savior. We need God's help. We fall short. The gospel reminds us we are very loved. The gospel reminds us how good Jesus is. The kind of shepherd he is. The gospel shows us how to love, love others, how to love our spouse, and how to submit as we look at Jesus and the Father. The gospel does all this, and the gospel changes us. And as we look to the gospel in our marriages together, it changes us more and more and more and more. And I, I dare say most of our marital problems that exist in the church are usually rooted in a lack, a lack of just gospel activity in the marriage. A lack, of, a lack of applying the gospel in the marriage. A lack of living out the impact and effects of the gospel in the marriage. A lack of being in God's word. A lack of prayer. A lack of sin. That's where it's usually rooted. I'm not saying there aren't other issues that can, they can. But usually, the deepest issues usually are there. There's a lack of living out who we are in Christ that usually is connected to our deepest issues, whether those issues are, are with the wife or with the husband or with both together or whatever, whatever it is, right? Because at the end of the day, when there's major marital conflict, there's always sin in the picture. Always. It can be this person, it can be that person, it can be both persons, but listen, there's going to be sin there. Because that's what sin does. It begins to eat away and it begins to destroy. And that's why we need the gospel so much. And we must constantly come back to the gospel, apply it to our marriages, and view our spouse through the lens of the gospel. As someone who is not perfect. As someone who is a sinner. But as someone who is deeply loved by Jesus.